Welcome to Clearview Community Church Online. We are one church in multiple locations across the Georgian Triangle that exists to see people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, my name's Clayton, and I am the Cremore Campus Pastor, and it is a gift to me to be able to share with you some of what I think that God is teaching us today. Now, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through to 24 today. And what we get to experience is a narrative story about some of the followers of Jesus who take the mission and the message of Jesus really personally. So Jesus, he enters the scene in this ancient Roman empire in the Galilee region of Israel, and he preaches. He preaches about a new kingdom. A new kingdom would mean a few things. It would mean a new king a new way of operating in your day-to-day -day responsibilities as a society. Uh, it would mean a new justice framework. It would mean new values, new priorities, and new kingdom allegiances. Preaching a new kingdom is a big message, and it's a dangerous message because the kingdom that presently exists is the Roman Empire, and they do not take kindly to someone coming on in and saying that they have a better way. So this is the cultural framework that exists while we read about what happens. This kingdom is a big deal. So keep that in mind as we journey through this today. So today we're actually working on a decent chunk of the story. So I'm going to break it down into four parts. And after each part, I'll add a few comments after. And then once we've done all of that, working through our four sections, I'll give us a few final thoughts on, on how to navigate this as we leave the conversation. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 10 verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and every place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anybody on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there, and then tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But... When you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on, the day, on that day for Sodom than for that town. So let's press pause here after these first 12 verses. A lot has actually already happened. So first, Jesus gathers 72 of his followers, and he's going to give them instructions on what to do when he sends them. 
He says, the harvest, it's plentiful. Now this, it's a, a pretty famous saying among the church over the past few hundred years. It is a metaphor that Jesus uses to basically say, hey, there is a lot of work to do. There's plenty of people that need to hear the message of this new kingdom. But Jesus also says, while there's lots of work, the workers are few. So another thing to notice, the workers sent are like lambs being sent into a pack of wolves. Now that doesn't sound like the safest or maybe the best practice, but I think it points to some sense of both danger and helplessness that the followers experience. So Jesus describes a, a bit of danger there. Some people, they are going to welcome you. So if, if they do, stay there, eat what they give you and preach the kingdom of God. But for some people, they're, they're not going to welcome you. Instead, actually, they're going to reject both you and the message that you bring. The message that the kingdom of God is near is going to be rejected. So Jesus gives them instructions. When they are going to experience, inevitably, some kind of rejection, leave that house, wipe the dust off your feet, which is a, a symbol of distance in a relationship, and then tell that message in the street instead. Tell people anyways. Now, the first section here that we're reading, it has all kinds of nuance. It has details. It has cultural idioms and specifics. And you could study just what we read for a couple months just in itself. And then you could explore its implications for us as followers of Jesus now. But here's the big idea that I want to take away from it today. The work, there's plenty of it. And it's urgent. The workers are few. And not everyone will be willing or ready to hear that the kingdom of God is actually near. So then we move to our second section in verses 13 through to verse 16. And you can think of this as the impact of rejecting Jesus. And so Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But... It will be more bearable for Tyre and for Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will be, go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. So this, this second section here of our story, it's, it's pretty intense. We get a list of four cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Tyre, and Sidon. And we really don't have much detail about any of the time that Jesus spends specifically in Chorazin and Bethsaida. But he does make mention of them. And he makes mention of all the miracles that have been done in their presence. But also how there's no change of heart found when they see these or experience these. Now, in comparison, he says, even Tyre and Sidon, two other towns or cities, which were often portrayed as less than friendly to the people or the message that God has, they even would have repented. Now, there is a final line here that's interesting. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now, Jesus saying this, it goes along with a common idea among traveling rabbis like Jesus, that their representatives, like the 72 cent, 
They were to be treated with the same respect as the rabbi, the one who sent them. And the message carried by the representatives, that was to be received the same way as if it came from the mouth of the rabbi. So just a quick recap, there was the first section. There's a lot of work to do in sharing the mission and the message of the new kingdom. And then section two here, listen, hear, receive. Don't reject the message of this new kingdom. So now we get to the third portion of our scripture. We call it the the return of the 72 from verses 17 to 20. So it says, The 72, they returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So here the disciples return, and they're super excited. The demons submit to them. The ministry was a wild success. The powers of evil in the world cower when they approach, and people are freed. All it takes for us, Lord, is to just speak your name. But here, Jesus gently redirects their excitement. Instead of finding the joy and excitement in that they can exercise power over evil, let's find joy in the fact that your names are written in heaven. So what's Jesus doing here? He is relocating the point and the purpose of praise. Instead of the point and the purpose of praise being towards the 72 and what they did, he relocates it to God. The real reason for rejoicing is not this immunity or this power over Satan or the ability to do this mission. The real reason for rejoicing is that their salvation is assured in heaven. And Jesus contrasts Satan, who fell from heaven with the 72, to those whose names are written in heaven, falling from heaven, yet written in heaven. And lastly, we get to a final section here in chapter 10, verse 21 to 24, and we call it the joy of Jesus. And so it says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turned to his disciples and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now, this section of scripture closes with Jesus' praise to the Father. He's full of joy. And this isn't a little joy. Actually, the Greek word is, it's a massive, exuberant, delighted, victorious joy, because God has flipped things on their head again. He shows the great things to the ones that the world views are the least. The truth that he is the Messiah is not revealed to the ones who are religiously elite, politically powerful, 
or socially influential. The truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, it's shown to children. Kings and queens and politicians and businessmen, all these people had desperately wanted to see the Messiah and people assumed it would be them. But when the Messiah arrives in the person of Jesus, instead it's the least, it's the farmers, the poor, the peasant, and the outcast who are shown to him. It's these people who take his mission and his message to the world around him. So what do we do with this? What do we take away from this story? I think, I think there are three things among many in this passage that I'd like us to focus on today. First, it seems that God's kingdom, it's urgent. It's interesting to note that Jesus notes that there is a great harvest. It is time, it is ready, but there are not enough workers. Meaning, when there's not enough workers, the work has to get done ASAP. And this immediately follows a section of scripture where Jesus heads or turns towards Jerusalem and goes towards it resolutely. You know, one day I was mixing concrete outside by hand with a shovel, which is not my preferred way of doing so. And out of nowhere, I could hear rain in the distance. And all of a sudden, there's a recognition of the large amount of work, this large pile of concrete, the lack of workers, because it's just me, and recognition of an impending deadline. So the pace picks up and I work harder and harder and harder because my deadline was slowly yet surely arriving. And the message of the kingdom of Jesus, this message that he gives to his followers, the message of goodness and love in this world, the message that Jesus saves us from our sins, the message that following Jesus is very costly, but following Jesus is better than anything else that the world has to offer. This message, it's urgent. If you follow Jesus, it's a message that people need to hear. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not telling you to be a weird friend who breathes down the neck of people, telling them to repent or face doom. Actually, it's the opposite. I think that this passage tells us less about what to do and speaks more towards our attitudes towards it. If your attitude towards the kingdom of God is what we call lackadaisical or apathetic, perhaps today serves as a good reminder that there is so much work to do, but not necessarily a lot of workers. So then there, here's a, a second thing to look at. Another point is that God's heart in this story, it's, it's loving. It's love. The section we covered with the, the four cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, Sidon, and Tyre, it's one of the parts that hit me personally the most. Now, like I said, we don't really have a lot of detail about Jesus' time in Chorazin or Bethsaida. Meanwhile, we do know that Sidon and Tyre, these are metaphorical keys that represent rejecting God. And Jesus says to these cities, Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Now, the word woe, it's spelt W-O-E, and that word holds a depth of meaning that sometimes we skim across or we don't fully grasp. Woe, W-O-E, it's a warning, but also filled with a heart-wrenching regret. It's loving. W-O-E is what the heart says when it is good and just and kind, yet rejected in the place of what is evil. Jesus does ministry and miracles in Chorazin and Bethsaida, Yet he is rejected. 
Can you picture the pain that he feels as he walks away from those towns, slowly walking, silently weeping? Because he won't force them to repent, but he desperately wants them to. Woe to you, cities and towns that reject Jesus, despite him doing great things. Woe to you, cities and towns that reject Jesus, despite benefiting from the greatness of his kindness, his love, and his mercy. You see, woe to you, it's not a statement of anger, but almost like a statement of of grief. The heart of God towards those who don't know him or reject him, it's not the heart of a vengeful God. It's the heart of love, of a desire of reconciled relationship. Romans chapter 5 speaks about it in one way, saying that one, at one time we were God's enemies, but now we've been reconciled. And in Colossians, it speaks about it as well in another way, saying we have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, in whom we have forgiveness and redemption. Hope you see the entire motivation behind all that Jesus is doing, and even saying woe to you in this story. What Jesus is doing for, for you and me today, the motivation is, is love. Now, the last point, maybe another mind bender for us today, is that God is working in his way and in his timing. So Jesus turns to his disciples towards the end of this passage, the 12, and he looks them in the eyes and he tells them, many prophets and kings wanted to see what you have seen, but they didn't get to see it. And they wanted to hear what you've heard, but they didn't get to hear it. He takes a moment to pause for them to notice the gravity of what they're witnessing. The Messiah is here. The Messiah is working and you are the eyewitnesses of it. Don't miss it. Isn't that a a good reminder for us today as well? I truly believe that God is working today that God is speaking to you and to me. He is healing. He is working miracles. He's reconciling you to himself. He's reconciling and redeeming families. He's freeing and breaking chains that are holding people back. Jesus is restoring broken relationships and we are the eyewitnesses of it. So don't miss it. So here we are. As we close, you have a decision to make. And the question I ask is, what do you do with all of this? So let's remember the three key takeaway points at the end here. First, God's kingdom, it's urgent. Second, God's heart is love. And third, his timing, it's his own. And armed with these three truths, the week ahead of you is not insurmountable anymore. The stresses of this life, they will not bury you. The Messiah is here. The Messiah is working. He is able. The Messiah is powerful. He loves you and he sees you. And this is a truth that I can walk in. This is a truth that can hold me through the week. This is a truth that brings freedom. I invite you to pray with me today. God, we trust you with our lives and we are aware of the gravity of the mission and the message that you have trusted us with. That Christ came and reconciled us through his sacrifice, and now we are presented holy in your sight. So we thank you for the mission. And in the stresses and the chaos of this life, I pray you help me to remember that you first loved me, and you love me before and above anything I do. You love us because of who you are, and you bring freedom. 
So for those who are unsure of you today, God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds because you are a good and a kind and a gracious God. And we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today at Clearview Community Church. Now, for any information that you need or to connect with us or to join us for one of our in-person gatherings, uh, look up for all the information you will need on our website, clearviewcommunity.church. God bless you and we'll see you next time.